0: Welcome to the Helping Children Thrive podcast, where we talk about ways to improve your child's health and recovery. I'm your host, Momena Sili, and I'm a certified pediatric functional medicine health coach. At Helping Children Thrive, it is our aim to educate and empower parents and practitioners with integrative approaches to children's health conditions. Along with this hope that our children can recover, I welcome you all. Hi, everyone. On today's show, we're going to talk to Lorraine Driscoll. Lorraine is a registered holistic nutritionist and specializes in pediatric nutrition, gut-brain healing, and education therapies that help to retrain the brain. Her unique approach is both holistic and scientific. She focuses on healing the brain-gut connection through bio-individual nutrition therapy and then utilizes internationally recognized neuroplastic learning therapies, called the Integrated Listening System, self Field, and LS Works. These interventions stimulate the brain to reorganize and repattern so that it can function in a more interconnected and efficient way. Lorraine has also had a daughter who has recovered from pans and pandas, and we're going to talk a little bit about that as well today and about their journey um, through being diagnosed, and then, and recovery. Lorraine used to teach in the public school system for 15 years. After her daughter's recovery from pans and pandas, Lorraine was inspired to seek training in neuroplastic learning therapies to address some of the learning challenges that she witnessed in the education system, but was unable to implement in the day-to-day classroom environment. And let's get into the interview, and let's talk to Lorraine. Hi, Lorraine. How are you? I'm so excited to have you here today. Thank you for having me. Yeah, this is exciting. Um, I like to start off by just asking everyone how they got into doing the work that they do, because I understand that you have been a teacher for many, many years. So um, how did you just kind of move away from that to doing what you do now?
1: Yeah, so I'll try and keep that short, even though it's a long story. Uh, But basically, Um, as you said, I was in teaching for many years, early in my teaching career, I trained as a registered holistic nutritionist because I kind of knew that I wasn't going to stay in that forever, that I, I was really drawn to this other area. And then my daughter, uh, got sick with a neuroimmune condition and we got all kinds of, um, misdiagnosis at the time. We didn't know they were such, but everything from sensory processing, OCD, ODD, ADHD, and everything in between and nothing really made sense. We really didn't get any real answers or solutions and it was such a frustrating process. And the more I started researching and digging, the more I started learning about not only the impact that you know nu- nutrition and gut healing and all of that has on the brain, but Um, This whole other field that's actually been around for several decades, but is not talked about enough. And that is brain organization, primitive reflexes. um, You know, if there's weak connections in the brain, how much that's going to impact, whether it's behavior, learning, reading, mental health, and so forth. So I ended up retraining in all kinds of different areas related to that. And that's what we have as a result, Um, my uh, company Lorraine School Building Better Brains is all about kind of putting the nutrition component and the uh, what I call the brain building component together, so that, that kids can really thrive and overcome their difficulties. So that we're not just managing it with, you know, I always say like IEPs and medication and tutoring and behavior plans and all of that type of stuff. So we're going a step above.
0: Yeah, um, that sounds really, and that's exactly what I want to talk about today. But I just want to take a step back and. Just talk a little bit about um, you know, your, your journey with your daughter, right? The purpose of this podcast is really to give parents hope and, and give them a little sense of what others' journeys have looked like and how it is possible for them to try to um, be on this journey to recovery, right? And so how did that look like for you and your family?
1: Um, you mean in terms of the process?
0: Yeah, just, you know, like, you did allude to the fact that it was so hard to get so many different diagnoses. And then um, once you did figure out what it was, how even that is always not very linear, right? Just to have a diagnosis and to get to a point of recovery.
1: Right. Yeah, so it was, it was probably a process, I would say about of a seven years of, um, you know, when we initially knew something was wrong. And I think a lot of us when something is wrong, we just kind of start doing a little bit of research and think, okay, we just need to start doing this at home and so forth. And so we did all of that. And that didn't work. And then things escalated. And um, yeah, then when we got the diagnosis, things just didn't, add up. Like we were told um, like so many parents and it's so frustrating and it's so demoralizing to be told, you know, that it's your parenting skills and so forth. And and sometimes definitely parenting skills, we can all improve with that. I don't want to dismiss that. Um, But I have to toot my own horn and say, being a teacher for 15 years, I was pretty, I feel like I was really confident with my parenting skills. And I knew that it was way deeper than that. And um, so then we, we just kept getting more diagnosis. And then I've always been interested in kind of the more holistic side of things. So we started seeing naturopathic doctors and um, we started working on nutrition, gut health. And what I really like to emphasize to parents is that there is no quick solution or magic pill with this. Um, that it's, it's definitely a journey as uh, cliche as that is to say, and it's not a quick solution. And it definitely wasn't for us, but every time we would dig a little deeper or, or pull back another layer, things got progressively better. And when I say progressively better, it definitely was a process of, sometimes it was one step forward, two steps back. Yeah. <laughs> there was definitely that where it's like, we were making gains, what's going on. Um, but then, you know, eventually we would really make a, a, a nice leap and so forth. Um, And then uh, we really were working on gut health. We really were making progress with addressing the root cause with my daughter in particular, it was a infection that was causing her immune system to attack her brain called pans or pandas. So we definitely had to address that and work on the gut, but also we had to, we found out that one of the underlying reasons was that she had an overdeveloped left side of the brain. And the left side of the brain is the gas for the immune system. So she was all gas. So that's why her immune system was overreacting to these infections. So that's when we started adding in the brain building. We worked with a functional neurologist and uh, he was trained in the same method that I just completed uh, this, you know, recently and so forth. Um, And that was a real game changer and so forth. But um, definitely in terms of the diagnosis, I always tell parents to, really um to listen to your instinct like i feel like so often we are uh we defer to experts and i think it's important to listen to experts and what people who are you know an expert in their field but i always tell parents you're going to see someone who's an expert in the field they're not an expert of your child like nobody knows your child more than you do so i really like to um impress that upon parents is that and that i really think that it's important when you're getting diagnosis or when you're working with people that those people are open-minded to be working with other people. Uh, That was something a really amazing functional uh, medicine doctor said to me is, the first thing he said to me whenever we started sitting down and doing the intake was who is on your team and no doctor had ever asked us that before. And I said, what do you mean? And he said, well, hopefully you're working with other practitioners. You don't think that I have all the answers. (laughs) And that was just, it was so nice to talk to a doctor who was so humble. And um, I, I I really reiterate to to that to my clients in my program that I'm in no way promising to have all of the magic solutions. It's, it's it's definitely a team effort.
0: Yeah. And I think that, allows parents to look at um, various modalities to help their children, right? A lot of times we feel like there's just one quick solution, one quick answer to something, you know, we'll we'll work on um, gut healing for like a month or two months or three months. And then they're hoping for like a complete recovery on the other side. Once you're done with that three months, but that really isn't how the body works, right? The body's taken a certain amount of time to get to where it is. It needs yeah. that time and more to, to recover, but it's just making that whole system work together. It's like, it's like a car. Every part plays a, a very crucial role. And I think that's where it's really interesting, the kind of um, work that you're doing with your families where um, it's not just looking at, at gut health or, you know, just their their nutrition, but looking deeper into other root causes, right? And so that's where I wanted to kind of just transition into was asking you what kind of root causes are you looking for in
1: children with with neurodevelopmental conditions? Right, so, Definitely. I love that you say root causes because even uh, we can kind of slip into thinking there's a root cause and it's, I've yet to meet a kid I've worked with where it's just one factor. And I know that parents spend so much time blaming themselves and thinking maybe it was that time, you know, that I dropped him on his head or or that I did this when I was pregnant or whatever. And there's so many factors. So um, first thing I, I really look at, number one is their you know, health history, like everything from how did the pregnancy go? How did the delivery go? And in early infancy. So, you know, the first few months, were they breastfed? Was there issues? Were they colicky? All of that type of stuff. Um, and then we start digging into actual diet, nutritional deficiencies. And even the parents' health history tells us so much, even in terms of, you know, how genetics might play a role, even though it's not the end of the story. Um, and then once we start addressing and looking at that layer in terms of nutritional deficiencies, then we start looking at gut health, which can impact nutritional deficiencies, but can you know wreak a whole lot of havoc in terms of contributing to brain inflammation, as well as just immune dysregulation, which was one of the uh, issues with with my daughter, and so forth. Um, and then we also want to look at even just drainage and. De- detoxification. So how well are the organs in the body able to detoxify? Because if we start jumping into gut healing and start pushing a lot of detoxification, but the organs are not strong enough to be able to do that. All that's happening is we're just recirculating that gunk and even ending up with worse problems because now it's, you know, not in the fat cells, it's kind of everywhere and in the brain. Um, So we want to look at that and then root causes in terms of uh, brain development. Um, so, you know, did the child crawl, did they roll over, did they creep, did they meet those milestones and okay, maybe they did. Some parents will say, no, they didn't, or they'll say, well, they crawled for a very short period of time, or they were an early walker, or it was a really weird crawl. Like they did kind of more of a bum shuffle or something like that. And that movement that those early movements have a huge impact on brain development and brain organization and if the left and right brain hemispheres are going to be balanced and, and w- both well developed and working together so we look at that um and basically uh, other kind of more in-depth aspects of the brain like is the cerebellum well developed um you know is the um You know, sometimes do we need to start doing rhythmic movements, which babies do in utero and they do in early infancy and those movements as well help to develop the brain. So there's like a whole lot of layers. Um, That's why my program is six months because um, I want it. My big thing is a lot of parents I work with are like at their wit's end, they're burnt out, they're overwhelmed and they need it, you know, slow dripped, so to speak, in a a way that it's not going to be too overwhelming. And we have to do the right action at the right time in terms of root causes. So if we start tackling, you know, cerebellum development before we've addressed primitive reflexes, that's not good. Or if we start, you know, as I mentioned, do, doing gut healing, but the, the organs are not draining well, you know, right action at the right time with root causes is also really, really important.
0: Yeah. And you know, that makes <clears throat> more sense just to, to know that those are all options out there, but that they have a hierarchy in, in how we need to address them. You talked about primitive reflexes, right? And that's something that intrigues me to no end. I, I, it's just it's so exciting to understand that, that this whole phase through which our babies are going through. Right. it's for a reason right and and there is there's a method to the madness if anything if that's what you want to call it yeah. um can you just talk a little bit more about what these primitive reflexes are and why they're
1: important yeah totally so i get your fascination because when i first learned about it i had a master's of science in teaching when i first learned about this and I did not learn that and I had been in university for all those years and I couldn't believe I thought how did I become a teacher and no one ever talked to this, and nobody I know in education learned about this. And what it is, is there are those really, um, there are those infant reflexes that babies do they actually do some of them in utero as well. Um, And some of them are heart melting. Like I think most of us can remember whenever we put our finger in the palm of our baby's hand and they wrap their little fingers around our palm and we think, oh, my God, they love me so much (laughs) for connecting. Um, And it's probably totally true, but it's actually a a, a reflex. Anybody does that to any baby and the baby's hand will do that. And so that's known as the Palmer reflex. And if that reflex does not integrate, meaning does not, um, I don't want to say disappear because it, ex- it still exists, but it integrates into the nervous system so that it, there's no longer a reaction. If you do that with, say, a four-year-old who's developmentally uh, sound, if you will. Um, so basically that reflex, if it's retained, meaning it stays, those kids might have, for example, poor handwriting or poor issues with, you know, clumsiness and grabbing stuff and so forth. And again, that depends on the severity of it. So there's all these infant reflexes. Their purpose is like total survival. It's totally instinct. They don't control it. And it's there to help keep them alive in their first few years of, uh, or the first few months, possibly years of life. So for example, there's one reflex where if you put your baby on their belly, their instinct, they're just going to turn their head to the left or the right. Um, that's the ATNR, and what's going to that is to help so that they don't smother right um, but if those reflexes stay retained then what happens is it starts to create I like to kind of to keep it simple like almost like a neurological block so the way I describe it is we've all been on those websites where we're trying to access information and then a pop-up happens and we can't figure out how to click the pop-up off and it's really frustrating and we're just trying to get to that darn website we can't get to it that's really how, what it, how a reflex acts when it's still there. And it shouldn't be for a kid who's say eight years old, they're trying to access their cortex, which is where, you know, executive functioning occurs and all that higher order thinking. And they're having, a, it doesn't mean they can't get to it at all, but they're having a really hard time accessing it. It takes a lot of effort for them to access their cortex because this reflex is still there and it's in the way. And so different reflexes affect different skills or aspects. So for example, I mentioned the Palmer reflex that can affect a lot of, you know, many things, but the ones that I really check for is like, if there's issues just dysgraphia and poor writing and so forth, you know, fine motor skills. Um, another example, if a child has like ADHD yeah. or a lot of anxiety, um, the Moreau reflex, sometimes fear of paralysis, but Moreau reflex. So that's that like startle reflex where babies kind of just like startle out whenever you touch their belly and they're on their back. Um, and that's like a kid who still has that. That's basically what's going on in their brain. Those are the kids who go from zero to 360 really easily, uh, whenever they're, you know, you know, older and so forth. And, um, the other one that's interesting that I'll, I'll mention is the spinal gallant reflex, that's uh, really easy to test you just stroke your finger down the side of your child's uh, spine when they're on all fours do one side and then you do the other. And if there's kind of like a wiggle or shift and they kind of shift their hip or wiggle their hip in the direction, um, the side that you're stroking, that's a really good sign that that reflex is retained and, and that, you know, work needs to be done to help integrate it. And that's really common in kids with ADHD. It's the reflex that will lead them to be constantly fidgeting and moving and be unable to focus in class because they're, you know, they're too stimulated by what's going on in their nervous system to be able to focus on the lesson or what someone's saying and so forth. So that is absolutely the first thing you want to address um, when you're looking at brain development, you know, I have people who say, I really want to do, you know, Dr. Malilo's brain balancing and that's, and part of his brain balancing is absolutely primitive reflex integration. And that has to come first. If you try to start trying to develop one side of the hemisphere before you do reflex work, you're not going to get the results that you're hoping for. So,
0: yeah. And it's really interesting for parents to kind of understand, um, that, the. that they're just not like a few of these that you mentioned, there are a lot more of them. And then there they're, they, they're are different points in time in that first year that they are supposed to come. And then when they're supposed to get, um, you know, just absorbed back in and not be retained. Um, and so there's, an, there's another one that I feel like has a connection with ADHD, the, the Lando reflex. Yes. And so yeah. what does that look like?
1: Um so that one is really easy to test first of all. Um first of all, all you have to do is have your child lay on their stomach on the floor and you ask them to just lift their upper half of their body while keeping their legs and their feet on the ground. And if they can't do that, that's a huge sign that it's retained. A lot of my clients can't do that. And that will just affect everything from focus to attention, impulse control, all of that type of stuff. Um, a lot of people find have found that it's very much connected to top to bottom processing in the brain. So we hear a lot about um, left and right brain hemisphere integration and making sure the two sides of the brain are communicating well, but the brain also works, you know, top to bottom and front to back. And so if it's not working that way, then, you know, there's going to be breakdown as well. And, and one simple way to know if your child's brain, for example, is working bottom to top which is not how it should be working it should be working top to bottom is when they're writing do they start their letters from the bottom like my daughter used to write a lot of her letters from the bottom and then up and then once we did all this work sure enough she starts it from the top and so forth so um just watching what kids um how they do things um, you know I don't know how it is where you are, but I find in Canada there's a big push with education to just let them do the letters however they want, just let them do. You know, it's um, kind of, to, to some extent, we've kind of supported embracing the free spirit so much that we're throwing child development out the window. Whereas when I was in school, we were expected to do the letters in a certain way. And we used to think, well, those teachers are so strict and da da dah, and who cares how you do the letters. And we're actually finding now that there's actually wisdom behind um, you know, encouraging kids to do things certain ways, because it, it helps with brain organization and brain training. So
0: yeah, and which is so important for, um, for, especially our, our kiddos with ADHD, because they just haven't um, trouble with getting to do a lot of their tasks in a particular order, right. And, and there's yeah. that sense of overwhelm that comes with it, like if they need to go to school, all the steps that require them to get to school, if they don't happen in a certain order, or if they're, they'll just, it, it just takes so much from them to be able to organize oh, all of that. And, yes. um, you know, just hearing you talk about that kind of makes it sound like it's just being able to process a lot of those basic executive functions and and yes. sort them out in the order that they need to come. Like you don't wear your shoes before you brush your teeth and, and get ready. Um, and it's just little things like that that can be a major trigger for a lot of these children, um, and which makes a lot of. You know these ac- these activities very stressful for parents as well,
1: right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, and that's, was my frustration with working in the school system, and just my frustration in general is um, that we are trying to get kids to do things that their brains literally cannot do, and we keep thinking that if we just have them practice more, or Um, you know, yeah, that we try to work on executive functioning from what I call a top down approach and top down approaches work fine if the brain is developed. Uh, but if the brain is, doesn't have all those layers properly developed, then it's going to be like an uphill battle with these poor kids who, you know, like they're just so discouraged sometimes by the time I meet them, they've been through years of, you know, specialists and so forth. And they feel like complete failures and they're trying so hard and they're using so much mental energy just to remember stuff and keep stuff organized and so forth. And I always I say they're just, they're working too hard to learn or they're working too hard to, to self-regulate their emotions and their behavior and so forth.
0: Yeah. And also just the whole idea of not being really accepted. The way that they are, and that nobody understands what's going on, right? It's just not in trying to regulate what's around them. But a lot of times, they're not able to control a lot of the things that um, the way that they behave or the way that they um, present things or say things, and it just, it, they struggle with that. And, and it has such a big mental element in that right for them in addition to what they're already going through.
1: Yeah, it definitely does. They definitely, um, you know, yeah, don't feel accepted. And I think it's just um, really frustrating for them, whenever the perception from, you know, whether it's certain teachers, or even parents or other adults, or even other kids, that they're just lazy, you know, or they're just not trying, or they're just, you know, they're just bad, right? Um, Like I have so many parents call me and they're like, I know my kid's not a bad kid and that they feel like the teacher hates them or they feel like so-and-so hates them. And uh, it's just so heartbreaking to grow up with that stigma. So, yeah.
0: And then it also just makes you in the spotlight all the time in class or or in any other social settings that you're in, whether it's with family or extended family, where eyes are constantly on you. You just Mm -hmm. cannot let up for even a second, like those kids are always under fire from everyone and just affects them in so many different ways. Um, yeah. And they're probably just screaming for everyone to hear and understand what's going on. Um, mm-hmm. And so you talked about the primitive reflexes, now that parents kind of figure out that they their kids might have some of them retained, what can they do from there?
1: Um, basically the first thing, after you've determined which reflexes are retained and so forth then you really want to start doing reflex integration work um, and you know you can totally try and do a do-it-yourself approach I always recommend though based on everything I learn I've learned and I'm continuing to learn definitely working with someone who's a professional or uh, knows what they're doing and I say that with all the love because there's some really well-intentioned people out there um, you know but even my Myself, when I first started, some of the reflexes or reflex exercises that I was doing, um, I didn't know at the time were not research-based. So there's a lot of um, programs out there that are offering, offering reflex integration work and so forth, um, but they're not—they're not, re- not research-based, and the method and the process they're going through is not research-based. And so sometimes parents will, you know, get really frustrated they'll reach out to me and be like, well, we've already done reflex work and we, you know, might've seen a small improvement or a little bit, or we didn't see any. And I'm always like, okay, but how did you do it? Who did you do it with? Were they doing research-based methods and so forth? So, um, and, and my big kind of, not, I don't want to say like, right, but thing that is a little bit annoying these days is number one, I love that primitive reflex. Work is getting um, more visibility in, you know, mainstream media and education and so forth. But my concern is that it's become such a buzzword that we think that's where it stops. And reflex work is primarily homolateral movement. So what it means is it's just one one side of the brain. And so it can't stop there. We've got to keep going into those other layers. That's where it begins. It's definitely not where it stops.
0: Yeah. And that was really going to be the next thing I was going to ask you of uh, once they they sort once they figure that out. Right. And, and they address primitive reflexes being retained. What's next? Right. We you talked a little bit about the brain integration and getting both sides of the brains to kind of work together and. Um, a lot and I think you can probably go into more detail to explain that but like a lot of times one hemisphere is way more advanced than the other and and so yeah. that causes a lot of trouble as well so maybe you can explain that a lot better than I did but but what sure. is how parents can look into that
1: okay so yeah the next step is first of all if uh, the goal is to make sure all the reflexes are integrated once that's achieved then we want to get into brain into you know falls under many names, but brain balancing brain integration therapy, basically, um, the first step is to screen to see if there is or which side of the brain is overdeveloped and which side is underdeveloped. And then the goal is to stimulate the underdeveloped side. So um, you don't want to just go by what I'm telling you on this, because sometimes kids are misdiagnosed. But if a child is diagnosed with a true case of ADHD, autism spectrum, OCD, um, then typically they have an overdeveloped left side of the brain and an underdeveloped right side. Of the brain. And that makes total sense to parents. Whenever you tell them the left brain is all gas, <laughs> yeah. right? Because they're like, yeah, that makes sense. My ADHD child is all gas. Yeah. Um, and then When there's typically like learning disabilities, uh, depression, uh, dyslexia, that is an overdeveloped right side of the brain, which we know that's decades of research that shows us that, and a underdeveloped left side of the brain, which is where the language center is. And, you know, that makes so much sense with a lot of learning uh, and language-based learning difficulties. So basically what you want to do is you have to stimulate the weaker side of the brain without stimulating the stronger side, because that's already way overdeveloped. And we do that with all kinds of different uh, stimulating the different senses and so forth. And always remembering like to what's interesting, right, is that the left side of the brain, the left brain controls the right side of the body and vice versa. So there's that aspect as well, whenever you're doing, uh, you know, hemispheric stimulation and so forth. So basically the next step that I do with my clients in my program, and that really needs to happen in order to move past just the primitive reflex work. Yeah,
0: um, and so one of the things that you you kind of mentioned, and it was something that has been I've been thinking a lot about as well, has just been this. I sometimes we children can present with with primitive reflexes or, um, you know, just this imbalance between um, brain hemispheres can it also just be that there's, um, they might present with ADHD, but it's actually not what that is, it it could just be like a misdiagnosis. And it could just be um, retained reflexes, for example, just like, pick one.
1: Right. So yeah, that's, that's with such a murky topic. And uh, to be honest, you can even ruffle some feathers when you say it. But I always wonder, like, like, is there such a thing as ADHD? Because when we look at ADHD and we start looking at root causes, it's never just this weird thing that, dis, that's, that just appears. We, it's always the case where it could be poor detoxification, it could be poor gut health, nutritional deficiencies. Um, and then you look at you know right brain um, deficiency and left brain overdevelopment. And yes, these primitive reflexes play a role, and my experience is that when you address those, I've yet to see an ADHD case that does not respond to that. Um, does it mean it completely disappears? In some kids, yes. I've had kids definitely lose their diagnoses. And in some kids, it's like life is just so much easier. It's not perfect, but life is so much easier. Um, so it's, it's, it's kind of tricky to answer that because, you know, I don't want to say ADHD doesn't exist, I, but from what, everything I've studied... With different you know internationally recognized doctors it's that these um acronyms if you will like my daughter had so many of them are basically like a cluster of symptoms you know and if you have this cluster you're this you know you're ADHD and if you have this cluster and that's why we see so much like multiple diagnoses right that's that's actually the norm it's not even the exception so parents sometimes reach out to me they're all new to this whole thing and they're so discouraged and they feel like life is out to get them and their child's a lemon because they have two or three or four diagnoses and I tell them that's the norm like that's most of the kids I work with yeah. that's a huge sign that this is this is not just you know some um intangible disorder there's a very clear imbalance and disorganization going on in the brain and the body and I said that's that gets me excited we can work with that so yeah.
0: yeah. And also, it's just that a lot of times, um, and, you know, from what you're saying, it sounds very similar to the work that um, I do with a lot of kiddos with autis- autism as well. It's never just that one thing, right? Like, I, I have some parents come in and say, oh, you know what, It, it it's genetic, like, let's just put that, you know, and... Right. And I, that's why I keep telling them it's way more than just that. There are so many layers. Like you said earlier, it's about peeling back every single layer and, and addressing that and then seeing what comes up, what's left, what kind of behaviors or, or even like physical signs and symptoms are they showing once you've kind of addressed some of like the outer layers
1: um,
0: and then just kind of digging through to see what's left and, and how to work with that.
1: Yeah, exactly. It's totally um digging into those layers and um going to the genetic thing. I'm sure you're well aware of like, you know, different genes like the infamous uh, MTHFR and so forth. Yes, can play a role, but I was funny because I was just talking to my husband about this yesterday how all of us in my family have the MTHFR.
0: Um
1: most of us actually have a double mutation. Um, my husband like, doesn't have any signs of that. And I said, that's probably because that gene is not expressed in you. Cause I said, you know, he's never like, he doesn't even know what a health issue is. And he's like almost 50. So clearly, um, you know, that there's that whole ass layer. And then the other layer that, um, when I was doing training with Dr. Malilo, he was talking about the right brain and left brain, that it's definitely, you know, a thing where certain families tend to be more left brain. Right. And then just like, you know, we, we, we breed purebred dogs and they end up with certain difficulties because like, you know, like I know with, we used to have a golden retriever and they don't, we say like, they end up having problems with their hips because they're already vulnerable. And then we just keep, you know, re re kind of, uh, reinforcing that gene. And so he was saying what can happen is that development can just, that overdevelopment of the left brain can go a little too far over the cliff edge where now, you know, left brain mom and left brain dad, who are both engineers and come from a family of left brain people have this autistic child who's just way over the cliff edge. But does that mean that there's nothing we can do? And he said, absolutely not. We can totally work on stimulating that right side of the brain. And. Uh, when I started learning about that, it was really fascinating because then I started paying attention to the behaviors and the personalities and the work that the parents do. And even like a few weeks ago, I was speaking to a mom who's just absolutely beside herself. Her child's been diagnosed with severe dyslexia and both her and her husband are artists, like professional artists. <laughs> like, this yeah. is like hilarious like this is like you both have like extreme probably right brain overdevelopment, but you know it's not that the left brain is completely underdeveloped. and with your daughter it's probably just a little too far over the cliff edge so uh there's that genetic aspect is really interesting but again um it's it's a, just a trait in that regard and we just need to, to to kind of bring it into balance
0: yeah and it's just like like you said you know it's not just what the gene is expressing itself as, but it's also like the whole environment, everything that works yeah. around it, right? Like the way that they were born and and the various, um, you know, the process that they've had to be into you know, the point that you've said working with them and how they're expressing a lot of that, right? So it's, it's, it's interesting. It's not a lot of these conditions that we're looking at now with children. They're not just like one root cause or one kind of, um, you know, answer that is going to give yeah. you like full recovery. And then I think that's really what I want to inspire parents with is the keep looking, keep digging, because mm-hmm. just don't be um, okay with having one answer or that if one practitioner t- says, you know, here are some pills, your kid will be fine, or at least they'll be able to regulate their behavior. Don't accept that, right? Push through. Yeah. And try to look for more answers beyond that because now at least with the research that we're looking at and there's a lot of research out there um, mm-hmm. that is showing that you know there's a whole world out there that we can look into and work with our kids and i think that's where a lot of the work that you do um it might not even for a lot of um holistic practitioners it, it goes beyond that right you're going right into looking at the way the brain is functioning And and literally like piecing it apart and saying, you know, the right side is working a certain way, left side is working another way, and then just trying to
1: work with that, right? And and that's really a big blessing. Yeah, it it totally is, and I think that it's. well, I've noticed, and I've always said, like, um, I can be a bit stubborn, when it comes to, you know, some people call it stubborn, some people call it determined. But what I've noticed is that the stubborn parents are the ones who get results, because they're, they're not going to just accept. And it doesn't mean not accepting your child, right? Like, I feel like there's this unfortunate um, thing going on with autism and ADHD, and so forth about autism acceptance you know it means that if you want to support your kid or help them improve that you're not accepting them and it's not about rejecting your child but i think we can all agree like i mean i've worked with parents who have severely autistic children you know who are in diapers and are nonverbal, and the parents have like ptsd from dealing with this for years um who wants to accept that not the child not the parent um, you know, we can improve their quality of life, and still, you know, acknowledge that they are just as human and just as worthy, and you know, treat them with dignity and so forth. So, um, yeah, definitely. I say be stubborn. Yeah. <laughs> you really have to advocate and stand up for your kid, whether it's with, in a school system or with healthcare providers or whatever the case may be. Yeah. yeah.
0: And, and, you know, we were talking about that kid in school who's going through, who who has ADHD and is just struggling to be understood. Um, that kid wants someone to stand up for him and to be stubborn, right. And to push through, yeah. to find those answers because, there is recovery is possible. We have been seeing that in children. And we're seeing that the, the, the determined parent who is literally digging in for answers is getting there.
1: Right? Yes. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it's, it's Yeah. Sorry, go ahead.
0: <laughs> and more and more, it's just showing that we're, it's, it's not that we're not accepting them, but we're allowing them to have that full potential um, yeah. at, at life and all that it's got to provide and give for them.
1: Exactly. Yeah. It's definitely, um, help, helping them have the best quality of life that they are able to have. Right. Um, maybe it won't be the same as every other kid depending, but like you said, um, there is, um, uh, you know, I did a conference a couple years ago and there was a woman who's a pretty renowned nutritionist and she, she actually has peer-reviewed literature now to support um, you know, these cer- a certain amount of kids who even lost their autism diagnosis with just diet alone, with gut healing and so forth. Is that possible for everybody? I'm not saying that's the case. Usually there's more pieces of the puzzle. You know, that In this case, with this peer-reviewed literature, they weren't even looking, they hadn't even dug into brain integration therapy or any of that other stuff, right? Um, and I feel like I would love to see a study where they do all of that, you know, put it all together and so forth. But, um, yeah, it's definitely, you have to, you have to be stubborn. It's definitely exhausting. I remember times where I was just so burnt out. You just want to throw in the towel and like never get out of bed. Um, and it's okay to have those days, but, um, you know, just you, you do bounce back and definitely kind of keep persisting and advocating for your child. And
0: I think um, this whole idea of taking it one little step at a time and seeing how it goes also gives a lot of hope to families, right? When they start to see those improvements, that right. gives them such a big, um, you know, jump and a pep in their step. Like they're just able mm-hmm. to go from one step to another. It gives them that that drive, and and you know, they know that just being. Um, just sticking with trying to look for answers is giving them that improvement that they're looking for. So it really does help that way.
1: Exactly. And it's really also about just um, being kind of like open, being open-minded to things that maybe you wouldn't have tried before. Right. I've had a lot of parents say to me, like, that's what ultimately helped or was the answer was they had to be open-minded to things that maybe they weren't, they were kind of skeptical about, or maybe their partner was kind of skeptical about, but they were willing to try. So open-mindedness is definitely a huge piece of the puzzle as well.
0: Yeah. And, and I feel like it's, it serves these children and these families well by just trying to start off with these more integrative therapies rather than going straight for, um, for, for medication, which generally it's, it's always the other way around. It always starts off with giving them the medication, finding that that fails, and then looking for other alternatives. So, you know, how much more improvement could you see without having all of the, all, all of that cloudiness that the medication would bring with it? Right. And so just focusing on on small steps, and and it would help. And and I think that's where, you know, practitioners listening in, for them to maybe change focus a little bit by looking at what is happening outside. So you know, how you work with your families, there's so many of the researchers that are working, and their first line of, um, of intervention is really looking at their diet, their nutrition, their lifestyle, their their environment. And then adding other pieces.
1: Yeah. And the other piece of the puzzle that I think can really help with parents in terms of sustaining motivation and so forth is to surround yourself as much as possible with success stories. Because what I hear sometimes I hear, and I hear it a lot lately is parents will say, well, this just sounds too good to be true. And to me, that's really heartbreaking. um, That, you know, that they're, that it's too, it feels too good to be true that their kid could really improve. And I get it because I remember whenever I was still in full-time teaching and I heard about this reading intervention that shifted the reading activity from the right side of the brain to the left side of the brain. And it helped kids beat dyslexia. And I thought, well, there's no cure for dyslexia, right? That's what I had learned as a teacher. There's nothing we can do. All we can do is get technology to read and write for them. And, um, So if you're coming from that old kind of paradigm of like, you just got to learn to manage it, all of this can seem too good to be true. And that's why it's really important to be open minded, join groups that, um, you know, whether it's on Facebook or elsewhere, Instagram, that are have other parents that can share their success stories or talk about their improvements and so forth, because it's it's really important to see that success sometimes before you get there. Cause then it can feel like, you know, this isn't a quick fix. So it can, you, you need to have that reassurance that it is going to take time to get there. And um, yeah, I feel like the more you can hold, hold space for that belief that knowing that things can get better. That's what it was for me when my daughter was at her worst was connecting to parents who kids had made amazing recovery. And I just held on to those stories like, so close to me because that's what got me through, and I was just kind of so stubborn and determined that if those kids could get there, my daughter's getting there too, and nothing's going to stop us. So, yeah. yeah, and it's really about that community, like you said,
0: and and yeah. then imagine like the power of that community when every parent is so driven, like the way you were yes. driven to help your child. Right? Um, it's there. There's power, and then there is a support system that comes with it. Um, and this yes. is what all of these parents need. Like you said, when you're given your initial diagnosis, a lot of times it, it comes in a package and the package is, this is what your child is like. This is how they will be. This is right. how you manage it. And there's nothing else we can do about it. Or we don't have any other yeah. answers, but unfortunately yeah. that's really not true anymore. Like we have mm-hmm. so many more answers. So it's almost doing a disservice to these kiddos by allowing that mindset fester.
1: Exactly. Yeah, no, it totally is. And that's what I say. Sometimes the biggest challenge is shifting the parent's mindset. The kids are more open. Um, Sometimes they end up with like what I call like, uh, you know, management PTSD because they've just been to like so many different therapists and not seen anything that they're convinced they're broken and they just don't want to be in another clinic or office for the rest of their lives. Um, but more often than not, it's definitely shifting the parents mindset that their kids can get help and even encouraging parents to address their own triggers and issues. Like I, it's not uncommon for me to be working with parents who either they struggled with ADHD and dyslexia or their, you know, partner did, and they will say things things like, well, you know, I managed and so forth, and we can get through. And I, my answer to them always is like, okay, I get it. Cause I, I grew up with like undiagnosed ADHD too. Um, but do you think the struggle is necessary? Like if you could have removed that struggle, um, you know, wouldn't life have been a lot better? And I, I don't, like, I sometimes you want to say, where would we be now? Like if we didn't have like, you know, maybe they'd be even further along. Um, and not to say anything about that, but just, That, yeah, not to set yourself up for the idea that life, you know, they're just going to have to struggle through it, that if they don't have to, why should they, right?
0: Yeah, and also like the blessing that research and all of Mm -hmm. the advances that we've made um, is giving all of us, right, is allowing us not to settle, Mm -hmm. but to actually go and look for the root causes and then address that and allow these kids to have recovery, and, and through them, a lot of the parents who have, who've had to live with these conditions and have had to manage them their entire life, they can start working with themselves because it's never too late to work with yourself and to try to improve your condition. So it, it goes for the whole family. like The healing is across members.
1: A hundred percent. That's what I tell parents is. Um, like, I'm like, whatever you're doing in the program, you can do with yourself. And like, it's always really cool. Whenever, you know, parents, like the whole family does a gut healing diet. And I think they're doing it for, you know, little Johnny here who's got ADHD or something. And then mom's eczema has disappeared and dad's not feeling so depressed or moody and has like, you know, his heartburn is gone. Yeah. And I always find too, that their parents often reach out to me for one child that they're most concerned about. But then we, as we start talking, they'll tell me, Well, you know, there's this one too does have a bit of this and the other one has a bit of that. I'm like, so then let's just work on all of them. Like, how about we, this is a family thing. And it also helps because the more you can do it as a family, the less that child is going to feel singled out because that's already how they feel. Right. So I always tell parents, don't be like, this is your special diet. And we're eating this and, and yeah. so forth. Yeah, so, it,
0: it helps with compliance a lot as well. So you wouldn't yeah. find that child sneaking around the pantry late late at night eating all the cookies. And just like, you yeah. know, all the best laid out diet plans go out the window. Everyone's doing it, there's going to be no food that's going to harm everybody. It's just
1: right. on the house. Yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, this has been such a great conversation. How can parents, I know that your Instagram and your Facebook and your YouTube is just amazing and full of so many good videos. So how can they reach you?
1: How can they learn from you? Well, as you say, um, social media, or um, my website, www.loreindriscoll.com um, or they can, and they can connect to me through there via email and so forth. So I'm pretty much all over the main platform. So not too hard to find. And uh, yeah, definitely the Facebook group. Um, there's, you know, weekly videos and so forth and all of that type of stuff. So.
0: Yeah, no, it's, it, it helps so much because your videos are so informative. So I definitely encourage parents to go and have a look and, and learn and to get in touch if there is anything that they need to discuss further. Perfect. Thank you. No, thank you. This has been great. I hope you enjoyed our conversation today. Thank you for listening to this podcast and spending your precious time with us at Helping Children Thrive. If you find this podcast helpful, please share it with your family, friends and others who may benefit. If you haven't already, hit subscribe so you don't miss any episodes. Please take a few moments to rate and review this podcast on the review section of Apple Podcasts. This will help other parents, caregivers, and professionals find this show more easily. Visit momenasalimcoaching.com to post comments on today's show or ask any questions about upcoming episodes. And sign up to receive weekly updates. Helping children thrive is not a substitute for working with a qualified healthcare professional. The information shared here is not intended to diagnose and treat your child. Before implementing anything discussed here on the podcast, make sure to consult your healthcare practitioner. See you all next
1: week.